You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont, bringing you another edition of the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. But you already know that. That's why you clicked on this video, this podcast, whether you're listening on YouTube or iTunes or wherever. Um, Nest Talk, episode 48. We are nearing the big 5-0. That's 50 in a couple weeks. Um, But Nest Talk, episode 48, is being recorded here uh, on Friday, October 11th. Uh, The start of this recording is taking place at about 12.45 in the afternoon. Um, as always, we have a few housekeeping things. We have some big news coming on BaltimoreFeather.com. If you saw my Twitter thread, at Chris Linfon on Twitter, you know that we are undergoing some changes in the upcoming weeks. I've been planning these out. Um, and we have something exciting I think I want to share with you guys. Um, so stay tuned to there. That'll be announced, in the, in, in, and maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. I'm not sure exactly when. Um, again, this is be recorded on October 11th, Friday. Um, so it could come out Saturday, could it come out Sunday, but I do have some news I want to share regarding the future of the Baltimore Feather, um, which I think is important for you all to know in terms of transparency um, and the fact that it's going to help make the Baltimore Feather uh, a much better platform in the near future. And if you like it already, it's only going to get better. So make sure you keep up to date on that news. Um, you can find when that news comes out directly by going to baltimorefeather.com, signing up for the newsletter. It'll be put in your email inbox along with the rest of the Ravens news and opinion articles that we publish on a weekly basis. Um, Try to be daily, but, you know, don't have the time for that exactly right now. Of course, uh, you can find us at bemorefeather on Twitter. Um, You can find at Talk on Twitter as well and and me at Chris Linfont. And you can find us on Facebook. Uh, Just search up the Baltimore Feather or the Nest Talk podcast on Facebook. And of course, of course, if you are listening on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, like this video, leave a comment. I want to start having uh, to get some questions in. I think I'm going to try to do a segment at the end of the show at some point in the future. So if we get enough questions, we'll start a mailbag section at the end of the episode. And make sure you can get those questions to me um, by tweet, by DM. Just make sure if you're tweeting me, uh, use use some sort of... Um, hashtag nest talk or something so i would know exactly that this question's for nest talk not for me to respond to uh on twitter um but if you leave it in the youtube comments i will make sure i get that um and try to answer your questions for the next episode um so long as we have time if i'm over flooded with questions then we won't have time for everything but if i get a few questions uh we'll be able to answer them all and of course, if you're listening on iTunes, make sure to subscribe on iTunes. It gets put, all the new episodes will be put into your iTunes library as soon as they come out. And that's pretty nifty. You'll get it on all your Apple devices, iPhone, iPad, anywhere you've got uh, iTunes as well. So if you've got a Windows computer you listen to with iTunes, it will be put into your iTunes library on uh, release every podcast, which is great. And again, they come out every Friday, record them in the afternoon. They come out in the evenings, which is always fun. And you can listen to them before the game, after the game, whatever you want. Um, It's just, of course, um, a good thing to do if you're a Ravens fan trying to keep up on Ravens news, as we always do here, and we talk opinions. And again, I do want to hear some questions from you guys, some more, um, so we'll be able to to have discussions uh, and interactions like that. So without any further ado, let's get straight into the Ravens news. And this week, we actually have a lot. When you're in mid-season, 
it's difficult to find weeks where you have a lot of Ravens news to cover, so a lot of these podcasts are more opinion-based, um, but today we have a lot of Ravens news to cover, um, and they all really stem from injuries, which is definitely not good. Um, the Ravens have some moves they made because of injuries, um, and we also have, have something uh, really cool to say at the end about Brandon Carr, but uh, he's not injured, just so you know. There's something really cool. Um First of all, Ravens injury report, as we always go through on a weekly basis here, we've got Mark Andrews, tight end. Um, he has a shoulder injury. He sustained it um, in in the game against Kansas City, I want to say, and he left, came back in. He's been dealing with a foot injury as well, but doesn't look like that's the main concern anymore. If he's healed from that, I don't know specifically. Uh, John Harbaugh likes to keep his injury news kind of tucked in tight where the media won't be able to get it all the time. Um so he's got a shoulder injury, Mark Andrews does, and he was a limited participant in Thursday's practice. Um, this is being recorded on Friday, but at the time of recording, when I'm able to record around 12.45, 1 o'clock, we don't have the full injury report till later in the afternoon. Usually around 3 o'clock we'll get it. So this will all be um, added to at the uh, at 3 o'clock, so you have to check that or just check us on Twitter. But at the time of recording, here we have Mark Andrews, uh, with a shoulder injury, limited participant in Thursday's practice. Marquise Brown, ankle injury. Um, he was he was expected to be okay because he came back with that ankle ankle injury against Pittsburgh. He sustained against Pittsburgh, um, and he was okay to play. He was he was playing. He obviously wasn't the same Marquise Brown we saw um, in the early part of the game. He looked like he was limping a little bit, but. Um, there were no expectations that he would miss practice, and on Thursday he actually did miss practice. I think he was limited beforehand. I'm not exactly sure what's going on in that situation, why he did not m- make practice with his ankle injury, why was he downgraded, it seems. Um, but it will all depend on whether he can play, um, whether he participates in practice on Friday today. If he participates in practice on Friday, I would imagine he has a very good shot at playing, but if he doesn't, then I'm going to basically count him out for this game which would be a pretty bad situation for the Ravens not to have Marquise Brown. Maurice Kennedy, the hero, really, of the Pittsburgh Steelers game, the unlikely hero of the Pittsburgh Steelers game, and even the Browns game a little bit, too. He had a very, very good day against Cleveland. Um, so Kennedy, the former practice squad player here, he has a thigh injury, and he was limited uh, in practice on Thursday. We don't know specifically whether or not he's going to play, but I would imagine if he's a full participant on Friday, um, then Maurice Kennedy will probably play against um, the Cincinnati Bengals this upcoming Sunday. Patrick Onwaso is not, I believe, is not expected to play. He has an ankle injury, did not participate on Thursday's practice. They're talking about who is going to take over the green dot responsibilities. If you don't know what the green dot responsibility is, essentially it's the player on defense that is responsible for taking in the calls uh, from the sideline and um, and relaying that information to the rest of the defense. Patrick Onwaso was was doing it. I know Tony Jefferson did it for a while, but you know his injuries, injury, obviously, we're going to talk about, um, prevents that from happening right now. Patrick Onwaso was going to be the guy. I think he took over, and he had done it before um, in that, that Kansas City game. He had done it previous to Kansas City. Um, so Onwaso, though, without um, with that angle injury, is probably not going to play. I, I highly, 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 highly doubt he would play. I'm not going to rule him out because I don't want to rule him out. Uh, that's not my responsibility, but I, I seriously don't think Anwaso is playing. 
Um, so with that being said, who is going to take over the responsibility for the green dot? Some people think it could be Chuck Clark, believe it or not. Chuck Clark has been giving, been getting a lot of praise from the Baltimore coaching staff recently and other teammates saying he's one of the smartest defensive backs in the room. Um, whether or not Chuck Clark is going to be the guy that relays this defensive information, I don't know. Um, I would say other candidates, maybe Pernell McPhee. He's a veteran in, in, in the Ravens system, not exactly you know a consistent veteran as in that he's been here for a while. He came back from being somewhere. Um, but he, he would understand at least the terminology as long as it hasn't changed since he was here. Um, which I kind of doubt it would have. Um, but you look at the rest of them. I mean, maybe Marlon Humphrey or Brandon Carr. I mean, there's nobody really that's really it's like sticking out to me. There's no Terrell Suggs anymore, no C.J. Mosley anymore, no Eric Weddle anymore. Those are guys you could rely on with green dot responsibilities. I don't know if anybody else on this team really has been around long enough Um to do it, and you know, you could say, well, Anthony Levine's still here, but Anthony Levine's not in on every play. You need a guy who's in on basically every pre- play. Maybe Brandon Williams. I mean, it, it, it's very, very interesting to think about who's going to take this rollover, um, because we really don't know who it's going to be. Um, and as long as the Ravens pick somebody who can do it, who can actually get this information out, they should be fine. They could always change mid-game if they had to, um, but they just need someone competent enough to get that information out in a timely manner, accurately, um, and and be able to communicate effectively. that That's probably the most important function there um, for anyone with the green dot responsibilities. But moving on from Patrick and Wasso, obviously Jimmy Smith is not going to play. He's been out for weeks now with this um, knee sprain. I mean, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been an ACL, MCL tear, in Achilles. With Jimmy Smith, you never know with the Achilles in his foot. Um, he's obviously not going to play against um, the, the the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday. Whether or not he actually comes back in a reasonable time, um, I have no idea. I mean, I didn't expect him to be out this long. I mean, this has been quite a long time for Jimmy Smith to have missed for, with a knee sprain. What is this, like a max six-week injury? He was out since the game week one. Here we are in week six itself, and there's been no communication on whether or not Jimmy Smith is going to come back healthy soon. We have no idea. Um, And it is disconcerting. We don't know when Jimmy Smith's going to come back. And obviously he is a big, big part of this Ravens defense. The Ravens secondary has been, frankly, very bad without Jimmy Smith. And you you could point to other reasons. You could say the pass rush isn't getting there in time. You could say the inside linebackers aren't doing a good enough job in the middle of the field bottling up running backs coming out on, on quick passes, that kind of thing. But Jimmy Smith is, is, is he's not the number one cornerback anymore because that's Marlon Humphrey, but Jimmy could be the number one cornerback for most teams in the NFL. So could Brandon Carr, to be honest. But without Jimmy, I mean, this isn't the lockdown secondary we expected it to be. And without Jimmy, it's not going to be. They need Jimmy back because Anthony Averett has struggled. Maurice Kennedy was struggling, but all of a sudden he's turned on the tank, right? He's just going. So that's great. But without Jimmy Smith, this Ravens defense has been struggling, and they will need him back soon. And we just frankly don't have any information about where Jimmy Smith is, what he's doing. When is he likely to come back? I mean, again, Harbaugh doesn't give a lot of this information out willy-nilly. And from a strategic standpoint, that makes sense. You don't want to give your enemy 
the information they could use to essentially say, oh, Jimmy Smith's not going to play this week. Let's, you know, when, when we meet him, let's say it's three weeks down the road, and he says he can, he's going to be out for another four weeks. Then your opponent can say, oh, well, you know, Jimmy Smith's not going to play with us, so let's not even game plan him. You know, for the Patriots game, let's say Jimmy Smith doesn't play for the Patriots game on November 3rd. You don't tell the Patriots that. If you don't tell the Patriots that, they got a game plan for Jimmy Smith because he could come back. If you do tell the Patriots he's not playing, they don't have the game plan for Jimmy Smith. You're taking time away from game planning for Humphrey, for Carr, for even Kennedy, um, Earl Thomas. So that, I think, is probably the reason he hasn't actually said much information about it. When we get the information, when Jimmy Smith is coming back, we will let you know um, here at the Nest Talk Podcast and, of course, on BaltimoreFeather.com. But right now, we don't know anything about Jimmy Smith's whereabouts, what he's doing. We really don't know anything about Jimmy Smith. Um, and the final person on this injury report, though, as we move on to the end of the Ravens injury report, is Brandon Williams. Now, it says it's not injury-related, but he randomly didn't practice. And, of course, he had that knee injury that kept him out against Cleveland. So it is somewhat concerning he didn't practice, but they say it's non-injury, NI not injury, unless I'm wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's what they're referring to here. He practiced all throughout the week and then just didn't practice on Thursday. We'll know if he is actually added to the injury report officially um, today. If, if it comes out that he didn't practice again, then, then there's something out. But if he practices again, it's fine. Um, but it is kind of concerning that Brandon Williams has not practiced or did not practice on Thursday for whatever reason um, with that injury fresh in mind. And, of course, he provides a big focus, uh, a big force in the middle of that Ravens defensive line, even though he hasn't been the best player that he can be. He has not been the best defensive lineman. The Ravens want him to be the best defensive lineman on the team. That's why they paid him so much money. He hasn't been that, but he's still a good defensive lineman. That's key. Um, and him not playing obviously would adversely affect this defensive line, especially with it being so thin. But the Ravens did sign somebody to help fill that that depth they need. We will talk about him, but first, we have to talk about Tony Jefferson. Now, Tony Jefferson, I understand where a lot of Ravens fans are coming from when they, they really um, display, let's say, their disappointment with Tony Jefferson's play. Uh, his performance and I understand that now there was some questionable activities by Ravens fans after that Cleveland Browns game towards Tony Jefferson there were things that probably should not have been said about Tony Jefferson said I did not partake in any of that but let's just say from what I saw it wasn't the most pretty experience that Ravens fans could have given to Tony Jefferson and I don't exactly think that's fair to him I get that he's being paid millions of dollars to play for the Baltimore Ravens, to play well for the Baltimore Ravens, and he has not lived up to the expectation that Ozzie Newsom had when he signed him two years, two, three years ago now? Three years ago. He hasn't lived up to that expectation. 2017 was a pretty lousy year for him. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't, it wasn't what it should have been. 2018, he did a lot better. He fit the defense better. 2019, he looks like he's playing in 2017 again. But this really isn't an excuse to go after him on social media or wherever. I mean, you can say you're disappointed in him. You could say he's trash. But I don't think we should be directing negative comments, negative attitudes towards him directly. 
And that's what some Ravens fans did. And I, I am disappointed by that. Uh, hope not to see that again in the future. If any of you are listening that did that, maybe we could take a step back on that, realize everybody here is on the same team, trying to do the same thing. It, no one is, is sitting down saying, well, I'm making $10 million this year. Let me just play like, like I'm trash. No, no one does that. And Flacco didn't do that either. Let's not even get into that. Nobody does that. But you do have to feel for Tony Jefferson here. I mean, he did play his heart out in this Pittsburgh Steelers game. He wasn't playing great. He wasn't playing that poorly. But Tony Jefferson, um, I don't remember exactly how it happened. I think he was trying to go for a tackle or something. But he tore his ACL and more. There's more damage. We don't know the full extent. But there is more damage um, to his knee. And if you know anything about ACL tears, I'm going to imagine that most of you do because you're NFL fans and ACL tears are extremely common in the NFL. Um, That's a long, long, long recovery. And that can really impact a career. If you'll remember, probably the most prominent ACL tear in Ravens history, 2015, Joe Flacco against the Rams game. Joe Flacco... Um, went to make a pass. It was either Rick Wagner or James Hurst. I don't remember who it was. It was pushed down. Maybe it was Ronnie Stanley. I don't remember. But someone's leg came up and hit him in the back of the knee after being pushed down by a defensive lineman and hit Flacco right in the back of the knee. And Flacco went down. And he tore his ACL right there. He finished the game, which is remarkable. But he tore his ACL. And, I mean, 2015 Flacco wasn't great, but it wasn't what obviously was hindering him in 2016 he threw for 4,000 yards in 2016 but he wasn't the same quarterback you could tell the Carson Wentz tore his ACL his recovery time took him a long time to get back even remotely close to the level of play he was not an MVP candidate anymore but he wasn't good when he came back from the ACL tear guys aren't the same after ACL it's rare to pick up right away it takes a while. Even when you're cleared to play, it takes a while to actually fully get back into that groove. And that's what Tony Jefferson is facing here. A very, very long-term impact from this injury. And what's the long-term impact on the Ravens, though? Who's going to take Tony Jefferson's place? Tony Jefferson may have played his last game as Raven. I don't know. If he doesn't come back from this injury well and the Ravens don't believe in, in the play he put on the field... With this ACL injury, it's going to be difficult to bring him back. I don't think that they're going to cut him. I don't think they're going to let him go. I I imagine he'll be back next year. But you have to at least understand the situation that this could definitely tank his career with the Ravens if if he doesn't come back well. Who's going to take his place for this year, though? Not super long-term. Who's going to take his place this year, long-term this year? Is it going to be Chuck Clark or is it going to be Deshaun Elliott? These are questions that we're not going to know the answer for until Sunday, if not longer. Because, honestly, my opinion is that the Ravens are going to play both these guys in the strong safety position. Because Earl Thomas, you know he's going to be the strong free safety for as long as he's here. I mean, even if he is underperforming, which I think he is, Earl Thomas is, is being paid to play. You're not going to bench him. These guys, you can interchange. There's, there's not much discrepancy in their contract. Chuck Clark was a seventh-round pick. I believe Elliott was a fifth- or sixth-round pick, only a year apart on their contracts. Um, to Sean Elliott, a lot of people like. He, you know, the Joker, his obvious nickname, if you follow him on any social media. Um, 
Deshaun Elliott is a ball hawk. He was a ball hawk at Texas, uh, not Texas Tech, Texas, you know, Longhorns. Um, when we saw him play in, in training camp, he did well, got some picks there. He's a guy a lot of people like at the strong safety position, but he's physical. He's, he's the kind of guy that's going to be in your face. But then there's Chuck Clark. And Chuck Clark, I have to admit, when I first started writing for BaltimoreFeather.com, when I first started BaltimoreFeather.com, I covered the draft. It was one of my first things I did because I started it right after the Super Bowl. It was the first article. And I really didn't like Chuck Clark. I thought Chuck Clark, and, and keep in mind, I'm, I'm like, this is three years younger, man, and, you know, who knows what I was thinking back then. But I didn't like Chuck Clark. I didn't think he presented much value for the Ravens, and I didn't really understand that the Ravens were going to go with a special teams player with him and develop him long-term. That wasn't really my understanding of what was going on. Now I would I would definitely see the value of a special teams player, but when I was just starting out, maybe I didn't. I just flat out didn't see the value in Chuck Clark. I thought Chuck Clark was going to get cut. I kept saying Chuck Clark's going to get cut. He's bad. And he wasn't a good safety. He was not a good defensive back, in my defense. He wasn't his first year. He was just flat out bad. I went to training camp with them at Navy's Field. That was a complete disaster for Chuck Clark. The preseason games were bad for Chuck Clark. He just wasn't doing well as a defensive back. But when you got him into special teams, he did well. Now thinking back, you kind of understand he didn't have quite the, I don't want to say the ability at the time. He has the ability, but he didn't have the repertoire with this Ravens defense at that time to be an effective defensive back that the Ravens were hoping he would be in the future. That's why it's a future. He's a seventh-round pick. We can't necessarily, we couldn't necessarily expect Chuck Clark to make an immediate impact as a seventh-round player. That's just not how it works. He made the team on special teams, specifically special teams. Uh, I believe he was playing gunner. Now he's in a position where he actually has a chance to start at strong safety, at defensive back. And honestly, I think it might be the best decision. I think he might be better than Deshaun Elliott right now. I know the upside that, that Elliott has. But everybody's saying how smart Chuck Clark is. And how hardworking Chuck Clark is. And honestly, if you're drafted 7th round and you stick around to your 3rd year with the same team, you got to be impressing the coaching staff some way or another. Because Tim Williams was a 3rd round pick in 2017. Same draft class. He didn't. He's not here anymore. Nico Saragusa, same draft class. He's not here anymore. Jermaine Illuminar, same draft class. He's not here anymore. Marlon Humphrey's here. But, you know, that's Marlon Humphrey. Um... So basically, Chuck Clark has this opportunity to take the Ravens' defense and really mold it into his his own way. I mean, he's not going to mold the entire defense, but he's going to make his own fit in this Ravens' defense. And we know he can do well because he actually substituted for Tony Jefferson last year when Jefferson went down with a minor injury for a couple weeks, if you remember. Um, I don't remember what game it was. It may have been the Oakland Raiders game somewhere in the middle of the season there. I think Atlanta, Tony Jefferson was still out. But Chuck Clark filled in. He did well enough. Third-year Chuck Clark is going to be better than second-year Chuck Clark, which is way better than first-year Chuck Clark. He's no longer just a special teams player. He's a guy that the Ravens actually trust to do defensive back duties, to be the strong safety of this team. And honestly, I think I trust him too. And I, I, I am sorry that I said some unenlightened things about 
Chuck Clark at the beginning of my career. But that's just how it went. And I right now I think Chuck Clark is probably the better option over Sean Elliott. Now again, I'm not an inside information guy. I don't know what exactly the Ravens are going to do. I'm not on the coaching staff. I don't make the decisions. I don't have enough information to make those decisions. But from my gut feeling, I think Chuck Clark's going to be the guy. Now, I would imagine the Ravens do a lot of substitution between the two, though. I think Chuck Clark will get the majority of the reps. I think Sean Elliott will play more of a reliever position and be put in there in certain situations where they think Elliott might be more suited to defend um, than, than Chuck Clark or just to get Chuck Clark out and refreshed. You know, because he hasn't been a starter before, he needs maybe some more rest than Tony Jefferson would have, and that's fine. And I think we should give them an opportunity both. And whoever plays his best on the field should be the one to long-term start. That's that's how I feel about it. But I do think that it's going to be Chuck Clark. I really do think it's going to be Chuck Clark. And we'll see how it plays out. But that's my interpretation of what the Ravens will do. That's my interpretation of the Ravens' situation. And I think Chuck Clark will be the long-term strong safety um, for this season with Tony Jefferson out. Of course, again, I think Deshaun Elliott will get time himself, though. Um, but, of course, the Ravens had an open roster spot after um, Tony Jefferson went down. They put him on the IR. Um, so that opened up a free roster spot, and they needed a new player, and none other than Jihad Ward. Now, Jihad Ward is a defensive lineman out of Illinois, former second-round pick by the Oakland Raiders. I believe he was drafted in 16... 17, 16, somewhere in there. Um, you might be wondering why the Ravens didn't grab for a safety. Well, I mean, you've got Deshaun Elliott, Chuck Clark, and even Anthony Levine. Levine's a linebacker hybrid at safety. He does, like, everything. He's a Swiss Army knife, but he could play strong safety if they needed him to. So that's three safeties backing up Tony Jefferson. You don't need another safety. What you do need is you need a defensive lineman. Why do you need a defensive lineman? Because their defensive line group was so thin. I mean, Zach Seiler had to be brought up uh, from the practice squad last week. With Brandon Williams' health kind of in limbo. And Michael Pierce is not exactly what he was. The Ravens want to keep this defensive line, this <laughs> defensive linebackers, defensive line um, healthy, rotated. They want guys coming in and out. They want it to be the best it can be because frankly you have to stop the run if you can't stop the pass you gotta stop the run you gotta do something and the ravens have had some difficulties nick chubb obviously tore us up james connor didn't do that so much but he had some some good runs um the steelers had some good runs on the ground across the team but no one really tore us up there um but even the chiefs running backs who aren't very good lashawn mccoy and and harris maybe i don't remember who it was we're cutting up this Ravens this Ravens rush defense, and that, that's unacceptable. Um, for a team that wants to win in the trenches, you can't do that. So bringing in Jihad Ward, actually, I think it's a good decision. Um, Jihad Ward is going to fill Tony Jefferson's spot, but again, he's not a safety. He's a defensive lineman. Uh, former second-round pick by the Oakland Raiders. Two years in with his – after uh, two years in with the Raiders, he's traded for the, the Cowboys for Ryan Switzer, actually. Uh, Switzer, you'll remember, is now with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was drafted by the Cowboys, sent to the Raiders, then sent to the Steelers. Um, he did not stay with the Cowboys after training camp. He was cut, and then some of the Colts he spent, I think, two years with the Colts, and was cut not too long ago, 
I think during the season, actually, sometime earlier this month of October, he was cut. If I remember correctly, I would check that. If you are more, if you are still interested on that, just go to baltimorefeather.com. The information is there. I just don't have it with me. Um, now, where is Jihad Ward going to fit in with this defensive line group? He's not going to be a starter, obviously. You don't just sign somebody midseason to be a starter unless you're crazy and you sign Josh Bynes to start. I mean, but that's different circumstances. Our inside linebackers are complete trash. Uh, no offense, Kenny Young, but you got to get better, buddy. Um, you know, the, the defensive line group, Brandon Williams, Michael Pierce, uh, Zach Siler's in there now, Chris Wormley is still here. And then somebody else whose name I'm blanking on, um, it just – oh, Pat Ricard. It it hasn't really been up – and there's someone else because there was five at the start. Now we have seven defensive linemen, seven. Um, it wasn't up to standard at all. And, again, you need rotational guys, guys that are going to be able to come into the game and relieve Brandon Williams, relieve Michael Pierce, relieve – players from their duties for a couple plays at a time keep it fresh maybe use different techniques keep the opposing offensive line guessing it's it's what needs to be done to effectively win in these trenches when you don't have your team performing at the best level it can because this defensive line on paper with Michael Pierce and Brandon Williams alone should be very good Chris Wormley you know we're waiting for him to develop Pat Ricard is in there I mean, he's okay, right? But he's not, you know, he's not a full-time defensive tackle. He, he's part fullback, part tackle. He's good at both. But he's not, you know, a, a defensive mastermind here, let's say. Did well in the preseason, but he's not a defensive mastermind in the regular season. You've got guys that are either supposed to be good, who are underperforming, or really... I wouldn't say gimmick guys. That, that's a word that came to my mind, but that's wrong. Um, specialization guys who really fit certain roles and Pat Ricard and Chris Wormley and whoever else I'm forgetting because I know I'm forgetting somebody. And then there's Zach Seiler who's just kind of there. Um, and then we have, now we have Jihad Ward who I honestly don't know a whole lot about. I don't know a whole lot about Jihad Ward, but um, he's not going to be a starter. He's going to be a rotational guy and hopefully... The Ravens can utilize him to the best of his ability um, and, and really revamp this this defensive line to be stout and kind of push back on this running attack. Maybe that'll give the secondary um, less responsibility up front. The inside linebackers definitely less responsibility up front and then be able to better cover. You know, the, the defense is really like a, the, a clock, like a giant grandfather clock. All the pieces are interworking together to make the final product, to make that clock move. Without one of those pieces properly in place or properly working, that clock is going to suffer. That clock is going to, frankly, not tell the right time. It's going to be behind. It's going to slow down. It's going to miss things. That clock's not going to work. But every piece has to be meticulously put together to have not only a good clock, but a good Ravens defense. And that's what they're looking for with Jihad Ward to kind of fix some of these parts around this Ravens defense. That's the goal. And whether he even is active or not, who knows. But everybody on this team plays a role, active or not. They play a role, and it's important to have them on the team if you need that role played. Um, 
Second and final Ravens news here, uh, practice squad moves. Of course, when you have um, a couple of practice squad, they had a practice squad um, position open from, from moving up Zach Siler. When you have it open, you're going to fill it. But the Ravens also made another move. Um, they wanted to bring somebody else in, and they had to cut somebody for it. So just just to um, talk about this for a second here, it's it's not super important, but it is Ravens news. It's practice squad. I mean, you don't know how this will plan out in the future. Um, but they signed Sean Monster back to the practice squad when they brought in Tony Jefferson. It was a kind of a one-two move. I accidentally reported this completely by accident that it was him being signed to the regular um, 53-man roster. So if you got it that way at first, I am completely sorry about that. I was basically running around and had like somewhere to be in five minutes, and I had that to write, and I accidentally put active roster instead of practice squad roster. So that's what I meant, practice squad, not active roster. So apologies to those who may have been uh, fooled by that, but um, just take it as an early April Fool's prank. So he is now on the practice squad again. He was actually cut from the practice squad. Um tried out for the Patriots, didn't make it, now is back with the Ravens, and a lot of people are going to be happy about this because Sean Monster um, is a guy that really impressed in the preseason and could be a very good slot receiver in the future, and to have him on the practice squad I think is very valuable for the Ravens. Um, But then the next day, I believe it was the next day, the Ravens went and cut tight end Cole Herdman, the former Purdue Boilermaker from the roster. And they did that to make room for safety, A.J. Howard. Now, Cole Herdman spent time with the Ravens in the preseason. That's how he got on the practice squad roster, undrafted rookie out of Purdue. Um, but the Boilermaker was simply not able to stay with the Ravens on this practice squad. Um, and that that is, you know, unfortunate for him, but decisions have to be made. We, we can't just keep everybody that we want. There's only 10 practice squad spots available. You've got to make room. And when you have a safety injury like that, you want to bring in someone readily available, who's going to learn the playbook on the practice squad, who can come up immediately if um, he's called for. And that's going to be A.J. Howard. Now, A.J. Howard, not much more experienced than Cole Herdman, a 2018 undrafted free agent, spent time with the Giants and Cardinals practice squads in 2018, uh, and he was an offseason member of the 2019 Patriots. He spent the preseason with them but was cut, I think, September 1st, first round of cuts there for the Patriots. Um, now, what is Howard really going to bring to this this team if he's called up? I don't think much. I mean, there's only so much you could do with him. If the Ravens are really impressed with him, they could bring him up. But when you have Deshaun Elliott and Chuck Clark and, and Anthony Levine in there, you don't need him at the moment. But if one of them is to get injured, then obviously you're going to need some more depth. And it is important to have that depth available for you. And that's what A.J. Howard is going to be on the practice squad, somebody who's going to be around the team, understand how the team operates, and if they need to bring him up, they need to bring him up, and he'll be ready to go. Would he actually play in a game? Probably not. I would imagine he would just be depth, um, maybe a couple snaps here and there, but it's not like he would get a lot of time if he was needed for depth because that's what he would actually be for, for depth, not for um, starting or anything like that. Don't don't jump to conclusions like that just because they sign a guy to the practice squad doesn't mean – He's going to be a long-term project. He's really here to be able to provide depth if the Ravens need that depth in the near future. Okay. So, final news story of the day here. 
I know we've spent a lot of time with news, but there has been a lot of news this week. I'm sorry, but the final news story of the day actually wasn't part of the original script, but before I came into record, I got the notification. Um, Brandon Carr was named the Week 5 NFLPA Community MVP, and that's actually a very, very nice thing for him because I didn't know what Brandon Carr was doing um, this year. I, I, I know he does all the charitable organization, um, you know, donates to charity, participates in charitable organization drives, encourages charity donations. I understand that. Brandon Carr is a fantastic guy. Nobody respects I have, nobody respects anybody more than Brandon Carr at this point. Brandon Carr is, is probably my most respected Raven just because of his off-the-field efforts. I mean, it, it's tremendous. He should be named the Walter Payton Man of the Year. He's been our nominee, I think, two years in a row. He'll probably be the nominee again. He's just a fantastic man. Anyway, Brandon Carr has pledged to donate. Get this. $12,500 per game this season, $200,000 in total, and all of this money is going to fund free screening for diagnostic mammograms through the National Breast Cancer Foundation. This is amazing that someone like him is going to take his own money and just give it away to help others. At this, that much money, that's a lot of money. I mean, I know he's making millions of dollars, but that's still a lot of money. And and honestly, it, it's a tremendous effort. And, and I think that we should recognize all these efforts by anybody, not just NFL players. But when we're in the NFL space like this, you absolutely have to recognize it because it's, it's really something phenomenal there. And he's helping so many people. I can't tell you how much this helps people. It helps so many people to be able to have a free screening because if you catch it early... You could save your life. So he is really, really a fantastic man for doing that. I wish I had that kind of money to be able to do what he's doing. Um, but, you know, he, he really, really is something there for the Baltimore Ravens. We're obviously very happy to have Brandon Carr on this team. Uh, but moving on now, I do want to talk a little bit about the Pittsburgh game. Um, <laughs> there's much to talk about. I know every time we do a, do a podcast on Friday, it's kind of difficult to talk about the game because it's been almost a week since the game took place. Um, so it's like, you know, what are we going to talk about that hasn't already been said? Um, now you've probably read, if you did read it, thank you, um, my post-game analysis, not analysis, reaction to the Ravens win in Pittsburgh, and really, I mean, it was sloppy. It, It was very, very sloppy, the win. The whole performance was sloppy by the Ravens, and Pittsburgh too, quite frankly, had some sloppy moments. You know, the old joke is that the Pittsburgh Steelers played down to their competition. Well, it's like the Ravens played down to the Steelers last Sunday. That's what it appeared to be like. But it was a very gritty game. And and I don't think it would have it any other way. I, I think Ravens-Steelers matchups should always be gritty, hard-nosed battles between two teams that vehemently hate each other. Even though they respect each other, they hate each other. Um, and that's really what we got. And I'm not talking, you know, going after each other on the field and attacking. You know, like some people will allege that Earl Thomas did. That's not true. Earl Thomas did not attempt to knock out Mason Rudolph. We'll talk about what actually happened. But it was a gritty game. There was a lot of mistakes on both sides of the field, but there were a lot of good plays as well. Um, the mistakes, obviously, I mean, the offense was was not up to par. <laughs> it was just not up to par. Lamar Jackson had a bad day, a very, very bad day. Um, it wasn't any worse than the Kansas City game. I think the Kansas City game is still his worst game of the season. 
but he had bad moments. He threw three picks. Now, admittedly, I'm going to take the two picks, two of his picks away from him. I'm going to take the pick where the obvious pass interference wasn't called. And this was a game of terrible officiating. Obvious pass interference on Mark Andrews. I mean, he got hit before the ball even arrived, and it basically got tipped. It intercepted. I can't rule that on Lamar Jackson. If he, if, if, if there was no pass interference, that was probably a completion. So I'm not going to blame Lamar for that one. And I'm not going to blame Lamar um, for the interception that was really um, – well, first of all, it was dropped by Nick Boyle, but it was high. It was a high throw. But it was not an interception because it hit the ground, and the refs ruled that it was an interception. And even Gene Sterator was, was going on Twitter and being like, you know, hey, guys, this is the wrong call. I don't know why we have to go through this every week. Uh, it was a complete wrong call. It, it was just a, it was a bad decision by the refs. That was the decision made though, and he th- ends up throwing three picks. The other pick, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it, it's not. It, that was his fault. Um, you know, I, I used to say this about Flacco, and it, it honestly was true with Flacco because Flacco would throw to Rashad Perryman, Rashad Perryman would tip it up, and someone would go get it. You know, you can't blame a, a quarterback for every single interception because there are interceptions that it's just not his fault. For every Flacco throwing to Chris Moore in the Bengals game, and Chris Moore, you know, bobbling in the air and throwing it to to a Bengals guy for a pick six, there's a there's a pass interference that's not called on Mark Andrews that leads to an interception for Lamar Jackson, or or an interception drop that's not called a drop for Lamar Jackson. Um, so we have to be consistent in how we analyze these things, and it it wasn't entirely Lamar's fault, but he wasn't good either. He didn't have the accuracy, didn't have the decision making that he should have. Those two throws he probably shouldn't have made in the first place because they were super risky, but I can't blame him exactly for the interceptions. Um, but he he wasn't very good. He finished the game uh, 19 of 28 for 161 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. That's not acceptable for Lamar, uh, especially with the way he started the year. I mean, I know it's against Miami and, and Arizona. They both are not good teams, but you just don't fall like that and still have you know, I'm sorry, you don't, you don't start that way and fall down to this level. It's just not how it should go. Um, Lamar Jackson was the leading carrier of the day, 14 carries for 70 yards. That was pretty good, but Mark Ingram didn't have a good day. He had an okay day. 19 carries for 44 yards. That's below 4.0 yards per attempt, which is not very good. And, And you have the one touchdown in there. As long as it was 14, you have the longest run of the day. Just Honestly, just not the best performance for the running game. Gus Edwards had five for 17 yards. Uh, Justice Hill, two for seven. I mean, the whole offense really didn't do very well. Mark Andrews was the leading receiver with receptions, 45 yards on his five receptions. But Willie Snead got 51 yards on four receptions. Um, But really, nothing stands out from this game, offensively at least. Nothing stands out. Defensively, I mean, it was it was pretty much the same. There was a lot of mistakes made. Um, I mean, you had Mason Rudolph, who isn't a bad quarterback. I thought Mason Rudolph was a good quarterback coming out of college, but he shouldn't have done what he did against the Ravens' defense here. 13 for 20, 131 yards before, and a touchdown before leaving the game um, after almost having his head taken off. And that was a scary situation. I mean, the injury situation regarding Mason Rudolph, I don't think you can blame Earl Thomas for. Earl Thomas was leaning with his shoulder into his chest, and then, you know, Mason Rudolph was kind of pushed in the air and then came down a little bit, and when he was coming down, his head collided with Earl Thomas's, um, I believe it was his shoulder first, and his, his helmet may have hit. And he was out. He was out right there. I, you could tell, out in the air, and then his head 
bam, right into the ground. Knocked out cold. And if you remember the Ryan Shazier incident, and this is in Heinz Field this is taking place, everybody was thinking about Ryan Shazier. Ryan Shazier was there. He was in this game. He wasn't playing, but he was at the stadium. Um, And Juju Smith-Schuster's reaction, I mean, he just basically fell down in panic when he saw what happened to Mason Rudolph. It was a scary moment. It was very scary. Luckily for Mason Rudolph, um, he got up and walked away, which which is very fortunate for him because that injury was not good. I mean, that was not good. But, you know, in place of Mason Rudolph came Delvin Hodges, undrafted rookie out of Samford, FCS team, I think. It might even be, maybe it's Division Three, something like that. Seven for nine, 68 yards. A quarterback rating of 97.6. How does this happen? Can someone please tell me how this happens? How does the Ravens secondary let an undrafted rookie free agent from Division Three FCS come in, throw 68 yards with a 97.6 quarterback rating? That's higher than Mason Rudolph's 55.1. Lamar Jackson had a 20.0 quarterback rating. That's not good. That's not good at all. Delvin Hodges, 97.6. I have no idea how that actually happened. I, I, honestly, I'm speechless. I have to. I'm going to go listen to Ken McCusick's podcast soon to go figure out what exactly happened because I don't you know the film reviews too much time for me to do but it's just insane it's just insane that this Ravens defense allowed that and you know the bad officiating didn't help and it was bad on both sides but the Ravens were obviously you know the targets of the bad officiating for the most part I mean I'm not gonna say the refs were targeting the Ravens but it wasn't it wasn't really fair the way the game was being played at all um, but what we did find, though, is we found two players. We have two players who can be counted on in all situations. The first is obvious. It's Justin Tucker. I mean, duh. Justin Tucker, I mean, like, the one time he misses a field goal, is, or one time he missed an extra point, it's, it was his first time last year, right? Out of how many attempts? And it wasn't a clutch situation he missed. But he never misses. I mean, and then, of course, you have him come in and make the field goal to tie the game. It's good overtime. Then in overtime, make the field goal to win it. And these aren't chip shots. I mean, this is this is the year, past two years, where kickers throughout the NFL haven't been making chip shots. They haven't been making field goals they're supposed to make. Cody Parkey. I mean, all these guys everywhere aren't making the field goals to win games. And you can't. In 2018, 2019, 2020, it seems like you're not going to be able to count on kickers anymore. For some reason, we don't have good kickers coming out of college anymore. I mean, Robert Aguayo was the, the NCAA's best kicker of all time, and he couldn't kick a field goal for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And here's Justin Tucker. I mean, he never misses. 2016, right? Was it 2016 or 2017? He, he had a perfect year except for one blocked kick. I want them to just give Justin Tucker an opportunity to make a 75-yarder one day because I think it could do it. Honestly, I think it can do it. When we're up, like, you know, if we're blowing somebody out, just let them try it. Just go to the other coach and be like, let's just let them get the record. No disrespect, but you got to let them try. Um, and the second player is Marlon Humphrey. Marlon Humphrey is the Ravens' defense right now. Marlon Humphrey is the absolute... Honestly, I mean, there's talk. There's talk that Marlon Humphrey, I've said it, I've said it, I mean, you guys can attest, I've said it for like, what, 
a year now, a year and a half now, that he's the best young cornerback in the league. He's not the best young cornerback in the league anymore. I think he's the best cornerback in the league. I honestly think so. There is no way. I mean, he's at least top three. And Name me three other players. Name me three other corners that are better than Marlon Humphrey right now. I can't name you two. I think he's the best. I flat out think he's the best corner in the game. And you can disagree with me for this. But when you have a guy who can lock down Odell Beckham Jr., and then the next week go in and make the most clutch play I have seen in years by any Raven that's not named Justin Tucker. I mean, it's amazing what Marlon Humphrey did. It is flat out amazing that that man, when it counted most, after missing the attempt to make Juju Smith-Schuster fumble in the first half and, and getting basically bulldozed by him, overtime to do it again but do it better and make it work and force that fumble and get the ball and he wouldn't got the ball himself I mean Josh Bynes was running and kind of slid over the ball Marlon Humphrey punched the ball it went like 10 yards away he got up ran for it and got it himself the dude is amazing I mean that's just that how do you do that he is the best cornerback in the game right now there's no question to me there's no question to me there's no question. You can or tell me, tell me in the comments who who are the two other better ones. I don't even think Marshawn Lattimore is better. I think he's better. I think Marlon's better than Marshawn. Debate me on that. I'm, I I want to know who you guys think could be better than Marlon Humphrey. I don't think anybody is. I think he's the best cornerback right now, and he better make the Pro Bowl. He better be an All Pro because last year he should have made the Pro Bowl. He didn't. Fantastic year last year was a shutdown corner. And it's funny because, you know, I started covering the Ravens in 2017, the year we drafted him. And I was focusing on O.J. Howard in the draft. I was focusing um, on receivers. Basically, anybody not named Marlon Humphrey. And then they come out and they draft Marlon Humphrey. I'm like, who? I honestly didn't know. Frankly, I knew who Marlon Humphrey was, but I didn't know much about him. I knew he was Alabama cornerback. I didn't think he was anywhere on the Ravens' radar with Brandon Carr and Jimmy Smith. But honestly... If we drafted anybody else, this would be a very different team because Marlon Humphrey is the best player on this team, not named Justin Tucker because, honestly, Justin Tucker is in a league of his own. Just the way he plays, he's the most clutch player that this team has probably ever seen. But Marlon Humphrey is is really, I mean, I can go on and on. Marlon is the guy. Um, but this win was a huge win for the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, it might not seem like it was a big win because of the way it was played, but in reality, to get to three and two and put your opponent, your divisional opponent, at one and four, is tremendous. Uh, this early in the season, they're winning the division with the Cleveland Browns struggling, which they shouldn't be struggling. But Baker is not having a good year at all. Um, but it's it's a fantastic start, I think. I mean, it's not the best start, but it's fantastic for them to get to this point. Be still first place in the division. Put your division rival to one and four. I mean, they're on the verge of collapse. The Pittsburgh Steelers, another loss, and it's going to take a miracle for them to make the playoffs. Um, you know, it was just a, it was a big win, and with the not with the Pittsburgh Steelers, with the Cleveland Bounds losing, it's an even bigger win because it puts the Ravens back in sole control of first place. The Browns were in first place the last week, but so are the Ravens because there's no tiebreaker right now between the two. As long as they consistently win in the division and win against opponents they should, they can probably win this division because 
Cleveland ain't going to make it if they keep playing like this. Pittsburgh is not going to make it if they keep playing like that. And you know that the Bengals are going to get like two wins this season. Nine and seven could win this division. I, I Eight and eight could win this division. I mean, this is weird because the AFC North used to be like the division. Like three teams a year are going to the playoffs. At least two, sometimes three. Not anymore. That's the AFC West now. Um, this division is not what it used to be. And the Ravens are simply going to have to just hold the fort down. And that seems like all they have to do to make this, this division work is hold the fort down and, and be the best team in it. Not a very good team, but the best team in the division of a, of a division of mediocre teams. Two bad and two mediocre teams. They just got to be the better mediocre team. That's all. That's frankly all. And, you know, I'm not saying be mediocre. I mean, I would love it for the Ravens to win out and then win the Super Bowl, but just get to the playoffs first. Just get to the playoffs. That's all we need. Just get to the playoffs. Looking ahead to the Ravens and Bengals game, uh, 1 p.m. this Sunday at MT Bank Stadium. I will be there. Let me know if you're going to be there. Hit me up at on Twitter at BeMoreFeather at Chris Linfon, or let me know in the comments below whether or not you will be at the Ravens game this Sunday. I'm very excited. Um, the first Ravens game I ever went to actually was in 2013. And um, 2013, they played the Bengals. And I was there for that in that end zone where A.J. Green bobbled the balls up in the nosebleed seats, but I remember it like it was yesterday. It was very cold, windy. I'm up there, and, you know, the Ravens, oh, we're about to win. They can't Hail Mary this. Boom. It's it's thrown by Andy Dalton, tipped up by one of the Ravens' safeties. I don't remember who it was. And that ball's sailing towards, towards the back of the end zone, and everyone was like, oh, we're about to win. A.J. Green just comes up and gets it. And the entire stadium just goes quiet. It was just weird. And that was the first Ravens game I ever went to. Second Ravens game I ever went to, the next year, 2014, opening week, against the Cincinnati Bengals. And if you remember that game, you remember the play. That I will never forget this play, being in the stadium for this play. Joe Flacco rolls out to the left, finds his brand-new receiver, Steve Smith Sr. Steve Smith Sr., I think it was Drake Kirkpatrick, he puts his left hand in Drake Kirkpatrick's face and just shoves him to the ground. And the entire stadium went nuts after that play. That was perhaps the best play I've ever seen in person. It was, I mean, maybe the C.J. Mosley interception takes the cake from this past year. But, I mean, that was great. And and I always like going to the Ravens-Bengals matchups. Not because they were my first Ravens games. But, I mean, they were ju- they're just always fun to watch. And it's difficult to play the Bengals. I admit it. The Ravens don't have the best record against the Bengals. Okay, there are, there are seemingly like a kryptonite to us, but it's always a good matchup. And th- this year is not a very good year for the, the Bengals. Zach Taylor is, is doing the best he can. I mean, I don't think he's the best coach in the world, but he, with this roster, how much can you possibly expect from him? And they have a, a very long injury list here we're about to go through. Um, but I will say this, you know, as much as you hate the Bengals, you, you do want to see a good game between these two because it is enjoyable, these rivalries in the AFC North. Um, and the Bengals, I mean, there's no more Flacco to, to, you know, for them to, to dance all over. But um, if Lamar can be the anti-Flacco in this rivalry, that'll be tremendous. And we'll see how it plays out. Um, but moving on now, the Bengals injury report here. Again, we're only relying on Thursday's injury report. Um, we'll know more about the Bengals later today. Uh, so Ryan Glasgow, the defensive tackle, has a thigh injury. He did not participate in Thursday's practice. 
A.J. Green, wide receiver, ankle injury. I believe he's not going to play. I think he was ruled out, but he was limited in, in Thursday's practice. They could change it, I guess, but I'm pretty sure he's still not scheduled to play. And that's big because, you know, you never wish an injury on anybody, but A.J. Green not playing is big because he just always, always, always tears up the Ravens. And it's no fun when you're on the other side of it. Um, so A.J., I'm sorry, yeah, A.J. Green won't, probably won't play he's got an ankle injury but he was limited so there is a chance he will play Andre Smith the offensive tackle ankle injury did not participate in Thursday's practice Sean Williams the safety has a thigh injury he did not participate in Thursday's practice Alex Erickson is a wide receiver he has a concussion was a full participant in Thursday's practice Cordy Glenn offensive tackle I believe he's the rookie out of Oklahoma correct me if I'm wrong but he has a concussion did not participate in Thursday's practice Michael Jordan, not that Michael Jordan, but the Michael Jordan from Ohio State, I believe he was, rookie. Offensive guard has an ankle injury, but he was a full participant in Thursday's practice. John Miller, offensive guard, has a groin injury. He was a limited participant in Thursday's practice. Nick Vigil, linebacker with an ankle injury, also limited in Thursday's practice. Randy Bullock, the kicker, has a back injury, but was a full participant in Thursday's practice. And finally, Kerry Wynn, the defensive Defensive end has a concussion, did not participate in Thursday's practice. So, when we look at this injury report, what can we deduce from it? Now, I'm not going to be able to say, this guy's not playing, this guy's not playing, this guy's not playing. The only person I can say is almost certainly not playing is A.J. Green, and that's simply because that's pretty much what was announced earlier this week. I don't think Ryan Glasgow will probably play. Andre Smith, Sean Williams will probably not play. Cordy Glenn probably won't play. And I don't know if Kerry Wynn would play. Anybody who's limited, I'm going to say, has a better than 50% chance to play. If you're if they did not participate in Thursday's practice, it's going to be difficult for them to play on Sunday. They'd have to be either limited tomorrow or today or a full participant today. But being you know limited is still difficult to play because you're still not a fully, fully there. If you're a limited participant, it's going to be easier to play because you're at least moving around and being able to participate in some um, practice functions. If you're not playing at all, it's definitely not going to work if you're not playing at all on Friday. But, you know, if you're a full participant, you're going to play. So I think Michael Jordan will probably play. I think Alex Erickson's going to play. But the rest, we don't know. And, you know, anybody who did not participate, I'm going to basically say it's unlikely for them um, to be in Sunday's game against the Baltimore Ravens. Now, Three key players. We always leave you with three key players on the other team to watch who are going to have an impact on the game. If they play well, if they don't play well. If they play well, the the Bengals are going to have a better chance to win. If they don't play well, the Bengals are going to have a very difficult time uh, competing. The first key player here is Joe Mixon. Now, Joe Mixon, we all saw we did in in primetime last year, Thursday night. I think it was like week one. No, not week one. Week two, week three, somewhere in there. Joe Mixon tore the Ravens' defense apart, plain and simple. But this year, he's not doing so well. And without, um, with participably, uh, participably, with possibly no um, offensive line help here, with some of these guys not participating in Andre Smith and Cordy Glenn being limited with these offensive line guys, uh, John Miller, is, is limited in part, um, practice as well. You know, he could have a very difficult time running against this Ravens defense. And it's not the best defense in the world. I get it. But, you know, 
if there's no offensive line help, if the line is, is thin, another injury could definitely take it out. Um, he, he isn't having a good, good go of it right now either. He's only got 66 attempts for 242 yards with a 3.7 yards per attempt and zero touchdown stat line. That's not good. Um, he was a lot better last year. It's week six. He's only got 200-some yards. Not good. Not good at all. Um, so Joe Mixon, he's going to have to have a rebound game if, if he wants to help this this um, Bengals team. Now, they're going to need a strong running game because you know Andy Dalton is not going to win this without A.J. Green through the air. I mean, maybe Tyler Boyd, our second key player here. They're a leading receiver, actually, with um, 406 yards. 37 receptions, 406 yards. 11 yards per reception and a touchdown could help him out, but without A.J. Green, it's going to be difficult. So Tyler Boyd's going to have to take the reins of this offense and really lead it through the air, through the reception game. If he can do that, then uh, maybe Andy Dalton's going to have a much easier time moving the ball. And, you know, against the Ravens secondary, that is that is weak. Maybe short passes to Boyd. He's only averaging 11 yards per reception here. Short passes to Boyd that he can take long. Um, would be able to help this 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 Bengals offense, and that's maybe not something that he's he's used to. But against a weak secondary, missing Tony Jefferson, even though Tony Jefferson hasn't been playing well, I mean, Chuck Clark being put in there, you don't know how he's going to react in his first game. So, some sort of game plan that's going to take um, advantage of a thin secondary with Tyler Boyd at the helm of of, of that passing attack may be able to do some damage. We'll see if it does, because without A.J. Green, it's going to be difficult for them really to take advantage here. But with Tyler Boyd, maybe they can do it. Um, and their, our final key player for the, the Cincinnati Bengals here is on defense. It's Drake Kirkpatrick. He's been with them a long time. He's the leader of this defense here. Um, can he lock down Marquise Brown or whoever else he's put up against? I don't know. He's got 31 combined tackles, 26 solo tackles, and a sack this year. He has no interceptions yet. Will he get his first interception against a struggling Lamar Jackson? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, what I can tell you is that Trey Kirkpatrick is going to be pretty much the, the focal point of this defense, and he's going to have a lot of ground to cover. If Marquise Brown plays, assuming he does play, can he lock him up? If he doesn't play, is it going to be him against Willie Sneed, Miles Boykin? I don't think he's going to cover Mark Andrews by himself. Um, whoever he's going up against, will he be able to stop that player? Seth Roberts, will he be able to stop this player? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. He is older. He hasn't been the same as he used to. This is an aging team um, that's kind of in transition here. But will he be able to provide this defense what he did against Flacco? Anytime he played against Flacco, it was a problem. Is it going to be the same with Lamar Jackson? He only played Lamar once last year, and Lamar barely passed. It was run, 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 run that game. We ran like 25 times, 21, something like that. This is the real, I mean, this is really the first real offensive matchup between these, this Lamar-led offense and um, Cincinnati defense. I mean, yeah, Lamar started his first game against the Bengals, but it wasn't the same offense. It wasn't a passing attack. It was just a game-managing perspective. So we'll see what Drake Kirkpatrick and this Cincinnati Bengals roster can do. Okay, that's going to conclude the 48th edition of the Nest Talk Podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the entire internet. 
but you already knew that. That's why you are listening this far into the podcast. If you made it this far, let me know in the comments or tweet me. Um, and of course, I do want some questions for next week. If we have enough questions for a mailbag session, and if, even if I just get one question, I'll, I'll definitely um, uh, address it. So let us know any of your Ravens thoughts and questions. Looking for my opinion on something Baltimore Ravens, it's perfectly fine, whatever it is. Let me know. You can tweet us at Chris Linfon or at Nest Talk or at Be More Feather on Twitter. Give me a hashtag like hashtag Nest Talk to let me know this is for the Nest Talk podcast, and I will record all your questions and address them in the Nest Talk podcast, or you can leave it in the comments section of the YouTube video if you are listening on YouTube. Uh, make sure to subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on iTunes to get your um, Nest Talk podcast delivered right to you. Go to BaltimoreFeather.com and sign up for a newsletter. We have some big w- website news coming out for you uh, that's going to affect how the way Balt- the Balt- uh, BaltimoreFeather.com and Nest Talk operate, but it's only going to make it better, I promise you. So that will be interesting. Wait for that in the coming days. Um, my official preview and predictions article will come out on Saturday, so make sure you check Baltimore Feather for that. Uh, and of course, again, you can find us on Facebook as well. Just search up Nest Talk or Baltimore Feather on Facebook. We will see you next week for episode 49 of the of the Nest Talk podcast after the Ravens have uh, taken on the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, and the next game, I don't actually know off the top of my head, but we will cover it. Uh, have a great week, everybody.